Hello and welcome to Events as a Pipeline to Building Stronger Communities with Greg Oates. This is a new episode of the Event Manager Podcast. My name is Miguel Levch and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB and I'm joined by Dylan Monarchio in speaking to Greg Oates, the Senior Vice President of Innovation at MMGY Next Factor. On this episode, we talk about how events are a pipeline to support the priorities of the destination, how the pandemic has increased the visibility of DMOs to different parts of government. We talk about the big shifts in intention coming out of COVID on the part of event planners and people who book uh, events and destinations how association executives are actively selecting destinations with positive DEI reputation. We talk about the ongoing challenges of working with board members. We talk about how hybrid events remain unknown across the industry. We also talk about how to define and measure destination performance. And last but not least, we talk about the constant need for great storytelling in destination marketing. I hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to uh, rate us and uh, leave a review, please. Thank you very much. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everyone. Uh, Miguel Nevs here, and I am delighted to be joined by Greg Oates today. Greg is a past contributor to Skift. With me today is also Dylan Monarchio, the deputy editor of EventMB. But Greg, really nice to, to have you with us today. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, this episode already. Likewise. Thanks for inviting me in there, Miguel. Perfect. So, so you're the Senior Vice President of Innovation at MMGY Next Factor, which is part of MMGY Global, and you work with cities to align government, community, and industry priorities to drive overall destination performance, competitiveness, and brand. That is, that's a, there's some big words in there. Could you maybe <laughs> just decode that a little bit to make sure we all understand, you know, what you do and, and what MMGY Next Factor does? Right, sure. So we're a consultancy that works with uh, destination organizations, tourism boards, convention bureaus uh, worldwide. And I guess most of the work we do is around strategic planning, uh, short, medium, and long-term, really to help destinations optimize the interactions between their visitors, the industry that serves them, whether it's uh, you know, meetings or leisure, uh, the communities that host them, and, and the built-in natural environment and really looking not at tourism or at meetings, but just the interaction between local and global communities and thinking about uh, the visitor industry as a platform for community building for any destination and just really aligning all of those different segments and audiences uh, more effectively to, to build better cities. Um, so that's in a nutshell. Now, there's uh, some pretty lofty goals there and some, you know, pretty important things that, that you're doing. So, I mean, it's been a, a tough time for destinations. We're recording this episode in early July 2021. Um, it's, you know, looking pretty good in a lot of parts of the U.S. in terms of the, the leisure and in terms of travel and vaccination kind of status is looking pretty good. But it's not been an easy 16 months or so. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm guessing for destination marketing, it's it's really not been a, an easy time. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And, and maybe if there's any kind of silver lining when you talk about these big picture goals uh, that you could talk about? Well, let's just go back and unpack that, what you said about you know, these being big, lofty goals. And anything that we do is built on just extensive engagement with the industry and research. And, you know, when we look back at, say, like a, a Holland or a lot of countries in Northern Europe or, or Australia, they've been having this conversation for, 
half a dozen or more years, the idea that tourism, quote unquote, meetings, events, visitor volume isn't the end goal. It's a pipeline to support the priorities of the city. So when we talk about this, you know, there's, these conversations have been happening for a long time. What's happened because of COVID, I think, is there's a lot more awareness and intention around some of these lofty ideas, which aren't necessarily that lofty, and that these ideas are now scaling worldwide. And so uh, destinations of all sizes are now rethinking how uh, the visitor economy uh, can benefit a, a wider breadth of stakeholders and, and residents and organizations um, in any city. So uh, coming out of, of COVID, there's a lot more awareness about this. And there's really quite a few, let's say, silver linings, as, as you say, uh, but just some of the high points here. Government, community, and industry leaders are more aligned like they've ever been before around how the government can support attracting meetings and events and supporting stakeholders. Uh, Paul Mokri, the city manager in Vancouver, told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, we never really cared about tourism in Vancouver or the visitor industry because we thought that was all looked after. He said COVID completely turned that on its head. Uh, Jeff Miller, CEO for Portland, said... Um, I've talked with government leaders more in the last couple of months than I have in my, you know, 10 years here. So that would be one example. There's, there's others as well, but I think just can you, awareness. Could you maybe unpack that a little bit more? So, so what I'm hearing is you're saying that, you know, it's a pretty emergency dire situation um, yeah. and, and destinations, a lot of destinations are realizing that the business travel, or at least the event side of business travel doesn't just happen right and there is a sort of need for things to be taken care of and i think in a in a, in a good year or in a, a relatively normal year it, it does happen but there's still activities right there's still marketing activities there's still things happening that that really help to to move these things on so do you feel that destinations or, or destination marketing organizations are making a better case for themselves in a way because people have realized how important it is to keep that flow going i think COVID did it for them and now governments say, okay, we do need to, to pay attention and understanding that to attract meetings and events and to attract higher value meetings and events is a destination-wide initiative. And mm -hmm. the public, private, and civic sectors, the more that they can work together uh, more effectively, the more attractive um, they are to decision makers um, on, on, the, on the buyer side. So when we worked with ICA to develop their caching protocol coming out of the Taiwan conference um, last December, we spoke with international buyers and it was very much that we need a lot more information than we've been getting in the past. We want to not just know what's happening in the destination, but all of the assets that you can pull together and expertise beyond your borders and how uh, the government wants to support this and how all of your community organizations and nonprofits and foundations and universities can also be uh, involved in this. COVID made that story a lot easier to sell to partners beyond the industry. So it's, yeah, I guess it's a silver lining, um, kind of an indirect silver lining almost. It's like, well, now you realize how much you miss us when you don't have us is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, that's exactly true. Um, you know, we work with boards all the time and I, a board member for a large first tier city in North America on a one-on-one -on -one call said, you know, we're not respected by any level of government and how do we change that? And that's been the constant lament of the industry for what, decades? But there's now sort of a hole has been punched in that whole dialogue because like you say without the industry now the industry is more vis visible than ever in destinations interesting no that's that's good so tell me about other silver linings that, that you're seeing i mean is that the sort of broader one or are there other kind of broad ones that you think uh, were silver linings for for this period i think destination organizations are much more aware of the need to engage a broader breadth of stakeholders beyond the big assets, you know, the convention centers and the big hotels and the airports, um, and to start looking at how they can bring more people in the community into the entire process to secure um, meetings and events. That would be 
one in terms of the industry, I think for the actual on the buyer side, another uh, maybe takeaway or, or silver lining is that they're driving home the message that industry needs to be much more flexible. So we start talking about shared risks and contracts, at least in the next six to 18 months, potentially longer. And now uh, destinations are starting to listen to what buyers have been talking about for so long around shared risks. So that's, that's a conversation that's improving and moving forward. Uh, Do you unpack that a little bit more, the, the shared risk model? How does that work in practice? And I think, you know, from the planner perspective, what does that mean? Right. So if with everything being so fluid now and planners starting to book events or starting to have conversations about booking events, and again, everything is so fluid right now, they're looking for flexibility and and contract negotiations. And the feedback we've been hearing is sometimes hotels and destinations are flexible. Sometimes they're not where we've seen a good case study might be like Toronto, where they brought together, I think it's like 28 hotels. They brought together logistics providers. They've basically packaged the city with all of the relevant stakeholders. And part of that package is uh, flexibility in contract negotiations and, and attrition, all of those different pieces. And that if you don't you know, meet your expected volumes, then we will work with you on that. So just trying to share the risk because there's so much risk right now and trying to put together any size event. Um, that would be one example, I think, of a destination that's actually being intentional and upfront about here's our city and here's how we're going to work with you. And the feedback we're getting from planners is that's something that they're looking for now more than ever. Do you think that that's something that might persist in the long term or is that mostly just a reaction to the level of uncertainty and risk now that they're kind of accommodating because they have to in order to win some kind of business, but otherwise. It's absolutely, you know, a reaction to what's happening now um, to be flexible and fluid. Uh, Long term, who's to say, you know, demand demand for meetings is obviously going to increase over the next few years. Will that willingness to to share risk uh, continue? That's hard to say, but based on the framework coming out of Koshan with ICA, that was one of four sort of key priorities to look at for the for the long term, uh, based on what planners are asking. But how will that play out in different cities? It's hard to say. But it does sound to me like a a good reason to use a dmo you know because i am seeing lots of even relatively large events just bypassing dmos completely and not really wanting to do with them but if there is a some sort of insurance against hey if our event doesn't can't go ahead or uh if the numbers aren't quite right and there's a sort of citywide risk sharing that seems to me like a no-brainer that then um you know a really good selling point for for dmos in, in, in many cases Right. And then I just wonder, you know, what is the real influence of a, a DMO to, to be a, a player in that conversation long term? Uh, so, yes, if they can actually impact that and, and influence that, then by all means, that's something that's attractive. But I think there's also other things that are coming out of COVID that um, do provide DMOs with an opportunity to be more influential in it and necessary in the whole event development process. And it was interesting. We were working with Tourism Vancouver to completely evolve their mandate. And they've just announced, I think it was last week, the shift into Destination Vancouver and what that means being a more sort of destination-wide community-centric organization. But we did a number of focus groups and one of them was with US and Canada association um, planners and decision makers. So these are all pretty serious people with significant influence on site selection. And we asked for their big needs coming out of COVID. And there was a variety, but number one was diversity, equity, inclusion, and that the organization could show how if they won the event and they developed the event that they would be more equitable and support you know, a wider spectrum of, of vendors and players. And 
being on that focus group with the CEO, Roy Schwinn, we were both pretty surpri much surprised that that was the number one thing. We asked why, and they just said that's what they're getting from all of their stakeholders and participants and sponsors, that, that that has to be transparent and that has to be proven upfront uh, around the whole strategy to be more equitable. So that's something absolutely where a DMO can be involved um, in that process. If, as these association leaders are saying, has become more and more critical priority for how they choose destinations as well. That's really interesting. I think it's it's one of those topics we hear a lot of uh, of theoretical things, but it's really interesting to hear that from a much more practical perspective. Like, you know, this is what our community is asking for, uh, and I, and I think what you're saying is these associations are going to go to destinations that have DI priorities, that have a structure that 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 have a that are perceived to be positive in that space. Well, now we're getting into a bigger conversation too, which is interesting. And, and what is the, you know, we talk with boards and we, we talk about everything happening in sustainability and diversity, and you see sort of a lot of blank faces. It's like, well, why are we getting involved in this? Is this part of our mandate? What's the long-term business case for diversity and sustainability? You know, I have a hotel, I'm a board member with this organization and I'm looking at 20% occupancy. You know, am I really going to be focused on what you're talking about. And so we go round and round with all these big, big themes. And I think the four big themes, just in general, with relation to the visitor economy and destination organizations coming out of COVID, it's diversity, sustainability, community, and purpose. But going back to the diversity or the sustainability pieces, and diversity sort of falls under sustainability, it's not so much that as an attendee, I'm gonna be excited about your destination because the hotels are doing something with gray water or, or the fact that a specific diversity initiative that you're doing is gonna make me want to host a meeting in your destination or as an attendee visit. It's more just collectively all of these big themes pulling together and just to have, a, to, to really share a progressive mindset that the community and that the industry has about making you know, community stronger and more equitable and more sustainable. It's just that it's that it's that mindset. And so now you look at everything that's coming out of the Helsinki's and Oslo's and Gothenburg's that are really fresh conversations. They're all talking about diversity, sustainability, community, and purpose, but not in those words necessarily, but just in their willingness as communities to to come out of COVID and say, look, we've gone through this, and these are the things that we're doing to make our world a better place. That can sound trite, but if that's going to be engaging the next generation of attendees, then that's serious business development. So it's it's trying to identify the business case for, for progressive mindsets. And that's another shift coming out of, out of COVID, I think pre-COVID. And by the way, the industry wasn't exactly perfect working order before COVID. There were a lot of challenges but what do we talk about in terms of innovation pre-COVID and going back the last decade? You know, farm to table, event tech, festivalization of, of meetings. It feels like based on all the conversations we're having coming out of COVID, it's going to be on these new themes of sustainability, diversity, purpose, and community. And that these things that we used to get us really, really excited are now just kind of table stakes. Interesting. Hmm. Really fascinating. Cool. Uh, go ahead. Go. I was just going to say, to what extent do you think that, I mean, you mentioned the, that the, the claims, especially in the context of having come out of the pandemic, are somewhat trite. But I, I, wonder, if, um, I wonder if the function as a criterion is, is being perpetuated in some way by the fact that we're still in a pandemic and a lot of destinations don't have the standard uh, safety claims that they can make in order to, you know, like, whereas a lot of destinations were advertising on the grounds of being COVID safe going forward and all their new initiatives and all the things that they were putting in place. In many places, those initiatives are, are uh, kind of falling to the wayside because either, you know, vaccine rollouts and recovery in general are taking place. And so, you know, decisions are being made less crucially based on those COVID factors or um, some destinations are just not competitive when it comes to COVID safety. Are they trying to divert the conversation from COVID and COVID safety and the pandemic to those other things because those are things that they can action? 
No, I think with regard to cleanliness and hygiene and, and safety, it just vacillates widely among every destination. So, you know, I'm based in Vegas and the new Raiders Stadium, Allegiant Stadium just hosted a concert for, I don't know, there's 20,000 plus people. Um, Garth Brooks is playing this weekend and it's sold out. I mean, this is a massive stadium. Whereas, you know, it, with clients in, in Canada, there's still a huge concern over people coming to the city or, or the, you know, the resort town with so many concerns about, you know, the virus or the, the pandemic still. Uh, when I spoke with Japan, the convention bureau there, uh, they were saying that health, safety, hygiene will be the number one priority for the country's uh, tourism strategy for the long-term future. It's just so all over the place. Um, it's really hard to, to say. Uh, we work with Hilton Head. Their January numbers in 21 were higher during the height of COVID than before COVID. So, you know, there's also the actual consumer who's determining a lot of this um, and care differently from one segment to the next. So it's, it's hard to pinpoint any sort of cohesive commonality in terms of how destinations are dealing with that. Are you seeing vaccine rollouts play any role in terms of destinations eligibility to host, especially international events, or their disposition to do that? Not anything specific, and it's not a huge focus of ours right now because we're all the work that we're doing with organization is focused on that next sort of six to eighteen months looking out and the destinations already looked after all of that or not. And anything that we say or do isn't going to, I think, uh, impact that to any large degree. And speaking with, you know, the people who plan meetings and decide where to host them, that hasn't been a conversation that's really been high level. I don't know, maybe that's just with, with us and who we've been speaking to. It's much more on how do you monetize hybrid meetings? You know, those are the kind of concerns that are that are front and center versus is a destination safe? Because I, I, I feel like most large destinations anyway have those protocols in place. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. I was asking in part because you were talking about how, um, you know, there was a lot of top-down alignment from governments and other community agencies, and there was a lot more sort of respect for what the destination's pipeline did to serve the destination specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was thinking that it might be the case that destinations that felt like their own communities were more protected might be more inclined to host international events because, you know, vaccination status is relevant to the level of impact that an international event could have if it turns out to be something that introduces variants or, you know, a new outbreak. Um, but apart from that, I'm curious to know how, you know, like whether, given that, as you said, most of the larger destinations are also the ones that have made significant progress when it comes to the pandemic, especially within the American market and how well it's doing in terms of its vaccine rollout. Are you seeing sort of a widening gulf between first tier and second tier destinations based on their sort of eligibility for reopening? No, I think it's much more of a north-south divide um, and we can get into politics and all of that. But throughout COVID, we were traveling a lot through the southern states um, just because of those cities had decided that it was safe to open and, and we were traveling through all, so many different places um, throughout 2020. So yeah, I don't think I could make a distinction between mid-sized cities and larger cities that way. I think the difference we're seeing between large and mid-sized cities is really airlift capacity and that it's even more difficult now for the smaller cities to to sell meetings and events when airlift is such an unknown uh, right now, at least in the, in the short term, I think that would be more how we would look at, at differing, uh, differentiating uh, larger and smaller markets. Okay, and that's that. I assume that also applies outside of the states, like in terms of primary markets within the states compared to other perhaps European or other markets. Yeah, yeah, I think so.
Okay, that makes sense. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So, Greg, wanted to touch on this question of the challenge、uh, boards being a challenge.、Um, you touched on that a little bit before, and, and was wondering if you could expand on that. And I think this is something you're quite passionate about. Yeah, passionate about and, and overwhelmed with at times. And、uh, but this is something I, I talk a lot about. So, if we're looking for how the industry is going to transform coming out of COVID, and we talked about some of the, the significant shifts. That that we see, and this idea that the visitor economy isn't an end goal in itself, and it's really a pipeline for for building stronger communities, towns, cities, etc. All that sounds good, and the destination organizations are on board, and they want to be more impactful and relevant in their communities, and their communities are are of course on board to to spread and optimize the benefits of the visitor economy in their cities. But when you get to the boards. That's where we often run up against a big wall, and board members, you know, run the gamut. There are some that are really embrace the need for change and innovation and evolving the mandates of, of the organization, but there's also that strong cohort of board members that say, "Look, you know, my hotel's at twenty percent occupancy." We need to drive visitor volumes above above all else. Every single dollar should be spent, you know, buying ads on Expedia.、Uh, so, and both are right in different ways. But what we're seeing now more coming out of this is that boards are, are more,、um, oftentimes, there's a lot more polarity in terms of everyone's、um, agendas. And you're dealing now, and you always have, but even more so with these different politics and personalities and power structures that are all vying for. For their sort of domain within the within the community, so that's where when we talk about these themes, diversity, sustainable community, purpose, all that, we have to present really a business case, a long-term business case, and not necessarily in, in pure dollars, but to validate why it's important for the organization to go in this direction, because that's how organizations are speaking to. To travelers, whether it's, it's meetings or or leisure, so not that we have a lot of answers, but it takes a lot of work to to identify why we we talk about trends and strategies, but we have to come up with the case studies to show about how this benefited、uh, the bottom line、uh, in destinations globally, and, and this isn't easy. But trying to find case studies、um, like that or, or identify. You know why destinations went in this direction to support decision making at the board level is something that is you know we're pretty preoccupied with these days. And I, I I get the sense that you're finding it much harder to work with boards now. Is is that is that what you're finding? Yeah, because again, no one no one really has answers. When we were doing the Eco Project and we were. Talking with like as the head of anthropoxic, anthrop, the head of knee surgery, something like that,、um, with a large event that was going to Milan, and she said, "You know what scares me most is no one has any answers right now, coming out of COVID and the shift or the expansion to hybrids. So navigating that, how do we?" Speak to boards in a in an educated way based on all of our experience, but without a lot of case studies based on some of these new themes and ideas and how they benefit、uh, the destination. We have we have those, but how we talk about them and share them and expand on them is absolutely more of a challenge coming out of COVID. Just like anything else, an organization is dealing with,、uh, you know, when everything's been completely turned on its head, so to speak. 
so one of the things you also touched a bit on, and, and it's part of kind of your, your job description and what you do is this idea of brand and destination performance. And I imagine this is quite important to uh, prove or at least demonstrate to, to boards and, and other kind of um, you know, higher up positions. How do you define that? Like, how do you measure that? And, and how do you link that back to the work that you do with destinations? So this isn't necessarily a new conversation, but it's, it's a conversation that most organizations aren't focused on. But if you look at the World Economic Forum Travel and Tourism Index that comes out of every two years, they rank the competitiveness. Uh, this is at the national level globally. And all of these indicators are based on community well-being and diversity and sustainability and all these conversations that we're having. So there's actually a template for showing how the, the more, the healthier and stronger that a community is, the more that that helps a destination's competitiveness in the visitor industry. We're now trying to take all those ideas and make them much more approachable and easier to understand at the board and, and the management level. So if we're, say, working with Vancouver again, I'll just use some of these more recent examples because case studies are so important. Um, this is a city that has the lowest carbon impact output per resident in North America. It was the first city of reconciliation uh, to work with um, Indigenous First Nations uh, communities, both in the city and, and across the country. Uh, Richmond, a suburb, is you know, Harbor Air is developing the first commercial electric-powered planes. They have electric-powered ferries going over to Vancouver Island. Greenpeace was there. So anyway, there's this legacy of all of these things we're talking about going back decades that Vancouver has, has embraced and has, has supported. It speaks to what the city is about. But yet they don't have that brand narrative to sell and to really promote to meeting class. So speaking with the head of the board and trade there, a couple of weeks ago, she said, we don't really have a brand narrative for the city of Vancouver. All, we need the whole city to come together, public, private, and civic sectors to define what this city is. And it should be positioned as kind of maybe a Scandinavia of, of North America because we have all those pieces there. So now you have this brand narrative piece, which has often been the province of the, the destination organization. But coming out of this, it's really like the Vancouver example where you have to have everyone talking together to define what they're really about. And Elke Dens, the CMO in Flanders, said it's about it's not about being known anymore. It's about being known for something. And she actually used Austin as an example, which I thought was interesting for a European to look to, to Austin that way. So you now you look at Denmark, who has done it well and provides a, a case, I think, for Vancouver. There's the state of green, right? Denmark's national campaign to promote expertise and clean technology, green, what have you, which they commercialize and export and they attract meetings and events based on, on that expertise. And so that's what we mean by destination performance. If, if a city like Vancouver can pull together all of its, what it's doing and actually base the brand narrative in that, and bring the community all together around all these ideas to work together more effectively to drive destination performance, then there is that, that clear business case for all of these new themes coming together. So that's sort of a roundabout way in terms, <laughs> uh, terms of, of getting there. It, um, it's, but, it's a bit of a complex issue, but let me ask you something in terms of you know, the work from the sort of meetings and events perspective. Um, it sounds like a lot of this is destination perspective, you know, or sorry, perception. Uh, if a destination is perceived in a certain way uh, globally, that then it has that attraction for meetings and events. Is there a sort of, in your mind, a specific positioning that that is only for for meetings and events, or for the kind of B two B side of things, or is it just the, the the perception of the destination that has this effect? So we've done a lot of research on this and the answer is both, but specific to, so the meeting, from the meeting side, there's still an interest in how a brand positions itself that would be of interest to, to the leisure as well. Walkability, bikeability, getting around, you know, um, 
culture, food, all of that. But specific to the meeting side is how a destination can present itself as, as a place where everyone in the community has an opportunity to participate in the process of bringing a meeting to a destination. And that if I go to a destination at a conference, I'll be able to explore and see and experience how this destination is really creating better communities and creating better cities. I'm trying to stay away from the whole change the world thing, right? MPI used to do that and I thought it was great, right? MPI said, you know, when we meet, we change the world. And then they sort of shied away from that. And, you know, you bring that up to a board of directors, hey, we want to change the world and, and they'll ask you to leave. But well, that's really like what we're talking about. And just quickly, you look at Scotland's whole new initiative, right? Journey to change and what they came out and partnered with the Wellbeing Alliance that's exactly what they're talking about. And you look at their, their communications and it's saying, you know, you come to, to Scotland, this is where the brightest minds in the world want to talk about the biggest issues of the day. To me, it's like, I want to go to Scotland now. I want to be part of that mindset that's there. And you look at Destination DC and the connected capital, and we're not just going to connect you with everything in DC. We're going to connect you with, you know, the world in terms of whatever your sector expertise is. And we, you know, have that, that will, that intention, and the ability to do that. So access to intellectual capital. Well, and then again, you got to, yeah, but it's also the creative industries. It's just, the, is that? No, and uh, we've talked about that for years, and it's phenomenal how that's evolving. There's that intellectual capital piece, but there's also that creative capital and what the, how leveraging your, your creative economy and your creative industries and your makers. So expanding that idea from intellectual capital to any kind of, creator who has something to say and can contribute to um, a meeting event, whether that's within the meeting or, or you know, outside. Uh, but yes, based on that idea, selling brain power versus selling buildings. How does hybrid impact the import of intellectual capital in a given destination, considering that they can now bring in speakers from anywhere and it's kind of become sort of mainstream or commonplace to, uh, to broadcast that virtually? Well, that's and to million, consume it virtually. Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, first of all, there's so much pushback against hybrid from within the industry, especially the big asset owners, because it scares the bejesus out of them. It's as if it's going to, you know, we're having the same conversation about digital cannibalizing face-to-face. Um, -face. And maybe there's more to that coming out of COVID because of remote work and everyone's adopted Zoom and now do you need to fly across the ocean for a one day meeting to sell something when you can potentially do that. So I, that will impact visitor volumes overall, but in terms of hybrid, and this is where speaking again with planners that we did for the eco work, where they want to know how a destination can bring a much wider breadth of expertise to an event versus just what's within their borders. And that's when we're starting to speak about the, the hybrid piece. But then there's the pushback, well, this is, this is too expensive um, and, and uh, all the tech concerns, and those are true right now, but the, the technology is gonna continue to improve. But the idea is how can you bring a, a wider breadth of expertise to any individual event? And you've seen you know, also the idea of regional events, uh, Germany has been playing with this um, moving on summit, which is developed by the people behind C2 Montreal, uh, hosted another regional event. And I think it was in Paris, uh, Singapore and uh, Montreal. Um, so we're getting much better at pulling all the expertise in any, at any given moment by bringing the world together into, into a, a single space. There's just so much concerns around cost now and, and ROI and what that looks like in terms of you know, how events will play out. And there's still so much mm -hmm. testing going on, but you can see where a lot are investing in that area. You know, the new Palais de Congrès at Montreal, what they're doing in terms of converting their entire space into a, a, basically a digital box, you look at BOCOM and everything uh, German Convention Bureau is doing. And then even someone like Long Beach, which has the whole Long Beach Live District, they've basically taken their entire convention center district and they're turning it into a hybrid platform and they have the sales and the messaging 
um, behind all that. So that's clearly where things are going. And it, the idea is that it expands the exposure for any one given event. But when you talk about this, it makes asset owners and hotel owners very, very anxious. So again, something we're trying to navigate through. And again, where we need the business model for, for hybrid, we're all talking about it, but there's not a lot of people sharing successful business models about what this looks like when it's done well. But it sounds like it's fair to say that there's something of a shift between or from the, the promise of intellectual capital to now destinations building up the infrastructure for being able to capitalize on the intellectual capital elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you're pulling all destinations have been pulling all of their expertise in, in advanced industries and selling that. So the natural progression now with the advancement in hybrid technologies is how can you bring more people from around the world aligned with those specific topics? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then how I can remember destinations sell that and package that and show that capability uh, in real world terms? Well, I imagine it's easier for larger destinations <laughs> than, than smaller second tier destinations. In that regard, although you look like an Albuquerque, which has three federal labs, you know, around the city, the Sandia, Los Alamos, and the Air Force um, National Lab, and the innovation coming out of there is insane. And so they very much shifted toward that intellectual capital as well to commercialize all the things coming out of those labs. Um, so in some, so, uh, we talked with, you know, Cambridge and some university towns, uh, across Europe as well, where they're very much going in that direction, but yes. It, it, and then what is a, a large first tier city? If you look at a Fort Worth, which typically hasn't, wouldn't be considered in that realm very much working with Texas A&M and what's evolving there and, and they're home to American airlines and bell helicopters, and they have the largest medical cluster in the, the state. So they're very much now starting to focus on how to leverage that to attract events in those sectors where they typically hadn't before. So there's still a lot of movement in there. It's not just all the, you know, the global capitals. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions that I had uh, for you was really this idea of, you know, can all cities or, or destinations aspire to really strategically shape their economy or societies through tourism? And I think you're kind of saying that everyone can but you need to find what makes them unique or you need to find them what what is most interesting about them is that how you start with this approach or that's what you where you would start for any destination that wants to kind of approach that yes and to what you said coming up with the language to explain that to get buy-in across the power structures in any given city to show the reason behind some of these new ways of thinking and not to, to try and be too transformational, but sometimes just to move the needle in a way saying that there's all this money coming into your destination. How can you optimize that spend and expand it and diversify it and help more people in the community benefit from that? And so, you could look at this just as a basic visitor dispersal strategy to get people to spend more money in more different places. But when you start talking with community organizations and, and government and understanding some of the neighborhood development needs, uh, definitely equity, diversity, and inclusion needs there, then really any destination can manage that visitor flow and the dollar spending more effectively to align with, with some of those community needs. And the idea is that ultimately by leveraging the visitor economy to build stronger communities, you have a more interesting community to market and promote and sell. If, if you're co collaborating with all the other organizations, public and private in the city to, to build a more interesting destination, then ultimately that's going to give you more interesting stories to tell and to sell. So at, it's kind of this circular constant feedback loop where really ultimately you are driving more engagement with travelers and attracting them to your destination because you have more interesting story to tell. Like we can't just keep talking about 
farm the table on the leisure side and you know nice hotels and renovated meeting space on the event side we have you know we need to come up with new stories and there's clearly a demand from audiences for those kinds of stories you make it sound so simple but you're also kind of saying that a lot of destinations don't do this right so it's it's that finding the right stories to tell uh, is is sounds like it's the the key to a lot of this Yeah, like I go back to that Scotland, like that really resonated with me. And I want to know more about that. You look at Oslo, you know, getting rid of cars in their downtown and Helsinki talking about, you know, their new freedom campaign. You're free to be the person you want here. Like these are ideas that now make me look at these cities more intentionally. And do I want to go to that event? I'm talking about it as an, as an attendee. There's people in these destinations that are doing some amazing things. I want to meet them, whether I'm on the buyer supplier, the supplier side. I want to have these conversations. And one thing we talk about with Canadian clients is that there's very little in Canada that the U.S. doesn't have for the most part. So it has to be about ideas. It has to be about something that's going to inspire you as whatever kind of person within the industry to look at that destination in a new way and That all sounds good. It does sound easy, but we look to the, the Helsinki's and Oslo's and Gothenburg's and, uh, and Singapore's and uh, Sydney's of the world who are already doing this. And as well, not just those, there's Carson Valley, which is just south of Tahoe. They have a budget of 800,000, but they have a whole legends campaign that's showing interesting people in the destination and how they're trying to build a better community. You have the Wild Women campaign for Jackson Hole, which is absolutely phenomenal, which is showing that Wyoming, I think, was the first to elect uh, female legislators back in the 20s. There's this legacy of progressive ideals and values in that sense around gender equality. And they're showing now the Olympic skier and the governor and the beer maker and the barrel racer and all these women that are pretty cool, looks like anyway, people. And this is something that our community stands for. And we want to, you know, we want to help build the future with you. Now, that might sound, again, I don't know, that response resonates to different people in different ways, but I've shown those videos probably to a hundred different boards and it's going to be in the next destination, next presentation of Destinations International Annual next week. So I'm sharing it with everyone I can. I'm sharing it with you. So there is precedent for this. We're just trying to bottle it and package it and connect the dots and be able to show this is what's happening. This is why. And this is why you should think about it. And if you're the hotel GM who's only thinking about you know your next quarter results, as you should be, 100%. I'm not here to disparage any, any board members, but there's also a longer term play that's going to benefit your organization, your company, your product or asset in the long term. And we need to be thinking about that too, while we're focused on you know, your next quarter results. Yep. I think you said a lot there in terms of the power of content marketing and the power of telling great stories. So uh, definitely a, a fan of that as well. Um, But just, just to catch on that, the difference now is that coming out of COVID, we've been walking, we've been talking the talk. Now it's time to walk the walk. And if you're going to be having these stories about diversity, sustainability, community, purpose, all that, then the DMO really has to be invested in product and destination development to make that real and to deliver. Yeah, you can't just make up stories and there not yeah. be any substance, right? You have yeah. to, you have to help uncover those stories and make them interesting. Yeah, so just wanted... if you if you are going to use a story as part of your marketing campaign, you have to make it accessible as a theme for an event <laughs> and actually furnish the event planner with, you know, activations and locations and cuisine and things like that that reinforce what it is you're trying to sell. You can't just like leave it up to them to find those things at the destination once they get there. But also just in terms of product and destination development, you actually have to help be part of the process to develop those types of, of, of experiences and you know, those, those types of organizations and, and products. Uh, so that I think is a big shift too. And this is absolutely on the meeting side where the DMOs are being more intentional in product development to help create some of these things in order to tell stories about them. And I would go back to that Vancouver focus group with the Canadian American buyers you know, their number one need, their number one want from any city is what they're doing in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion. And Royce and I sitting there like, really? And then they just went off. Yeah, absolutely. This is the, what we're getting from 
from our sides, we absolutely have to be transparent and show how our meeting is going to be a pipeline for improving this in any given destination. I mean, that's, that's a transformational shift uh, for sure. Yeah, that to me sounds like boards and other people within other important people within organizations are more aware than ever of the spending power and the business that those types of events generate and they want to place those carefully they don't just want to splash it out in the nicest hotel or the or the nicest food right they want to be able to make a difference so i mean that's really uh really nice to hear that that's actually happening and kind of going through the ranks in some sense and that presents that business case because when we started this conversation we talked about holland's it was a 2030 perspective uh, in 2015, they're the ones that really came out with the idea that tourism isn't the end goal, it's a pipeline to build stronger communities. Now, with this feedback from, you know, American and Canadian buyers in that Vancouver focus group, now there's the business case to show that, look, this isn't a nice to have, but this is what's determining site selection moving forward. So, you know, the destination needs to get on board and you need to be on board with that because that's how people are deciding how to spend money now. Fantastic, Greg. I think that was a fascinating conversation. Uh, we're going to wrap up there, but I really appreciate you being on the on the uh, podcast. One last thing I wanted to ask you, and we ask this to all our guests, uh, it's always good to get recommendations on who we should have on the podcast next. So I uh, would love to get a, a recommendation from you. Yeah, so I thought about this, this a lot. Um, I like Jeff Miller, the CEO of Travel Portland. Uh, we look to Portland a lot. Um, you know, he's the one that told me years ago, actually it was in a skiff story. Um, you know, we don't focus on farm to table, sustainability, biking, all these new age themes anymore. Cause we invented that 20 years ago. We focus on our, we think our makers, the people who the creators in our community who define what Portland means on a hyper-local level on that street corner is our differentiator. And that's goes back to community values and progressive mindsets and all of that, but they got hit really hard with BLM. Right. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Portland was looking at itself and the rules of Portland. Well, you're not all as nice and progressive as you thought. And this is actually happening nationwide in, in Canada. COVID has, and some of these and things like BLM have really put a mirror up to a lot of communities. And Jeff in Portland has had to navigate that. Their new This is Portland video addresses BLM. Um, but I think in terms of a destination that really does bring a, the entire community together across the public private sectors, Few do it as good as, as Portland, so he would be good, I think, to uh, to have a chat with. Excellent. Well, hopefully you can connect connect us, and then we'll yeah, have him on, on the podcast. Thank Sounds you, Greg. Great. It's been a pleasure, and I uh, hope everybody listening enjoys this episode. And uh, we hope to catch you again on the Event Manager Podcast. Good talking with you, Miguel and Dylan. Thanks again for uh, inviting me. Thanks. Welcome. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.